Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with my co-host Blake Alderman. We're going to talk a little bit of Florida football. Obviously, SEC Media Days is right around the corner on Monday. Blake, uh, Florida made a bit of an interesting decision, I thought, with who they're sending to SEC Media Days. Florida will be the only team that is sending players from just one side of the ball and not the other. Uh, the Gators are going to send two defensive players, Zachary Carter and Ventrell Miller. Obviously, both fifth-year seniors, uh, real leaders in the program. Uh, what's your take on this selection for Florida in terms of the guys going? I think you hit the nail on the head. I think when you look at leaders for Florida, those guys that are part of um, – help me out with what they call it. It's, it's like the leadership committee, I believe, yeah. oh, leadership council. Either one. So those two guys being just, you know, heading into their final year, um, just what they bring as far as – you know, the leadership, being in the program, the guys that really understand, you know, what Dan Mullen wants from the program. Um, I, I do think it's a little surprising not to have, an, you know, an offensive guy of some sort. But I think whenever you look at just from top to bottom that those guys um, really mature with, you know, just being in the program for so long. They've done a lot of media. So I, I think that it's just um, kind of a, uh, you know, kind of a path pat on the back to those guys for just what they've done the program and what they bring from a leadership point of view. So um, it would be interesting to hear thoughts from people on the other side of the ball. You know, obviously there are going to be a lot of questions they field. Um, there's a lot of guys that are being replaced on the offensive side of the ball. And those things would be interesting to hear, you know, when those questions are asked. But, um, you know, it makes sense to me just getting those guys in there, you know, Ventra Miller, um, Zachary Carter, just from what they've done to the program and just how long they've been in the program. Yeah, well, Blake, my, you know it's summer when, you know, Florida <laughs> announces who they're bringing and fans are coming up with all these theories for what it means. Uh, my first thought was I was a little disappointed as a media guy just from the standpoint of, you know, you do want to get stories on both the offense and the defense. And I think Florida does have a ton of question marks offensively. Now, uh, obviously, Dan Mullen is the kind of coach where you, you're never really going to worry about the offense while he's in charge. Um, but you have a lot of things. I mean, Kyle Trask, a Heisman finalist last year, is gone at quarterback. You have, you know, Dan Mullen's handpicked uh, highest rated recruit at quarterback now taking over. You have an offensive line that returns some pieces, but those are probably the pieces that, you know, struggled the most last season. Uh, and then you've got to replace really some generational type talents in first round picks, Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony. So I was a little disappointed that they're not sending an offensive guy from, from that selfish standpoint of, of, you know, being media and really kind of wanting to get stories on both. Um, but I thought, I think it was Pat Dooley that made the point on the radio yesterday, uh, kind of to what you were speaking to is these guys are leaders and Florida was, uh, I think so bad defensively a year ago that this may be a move by Dan Mullen to kind of prop those guys up, not just to reward them for, you know, sticking around being fifth year seniors, which I think is part of it as well. Um, but really giving those guys the sense of confidence that, Hey, you're on the main stage now, all the eyes are on you. I mean, if you haven't been to sec media days, you know, for some of the fans, it really is. It's a, it's a ridiculously marquee event. I mean, it's, it's that kind of thing where, you know, even if you've been there a couple of times, sometimes you still get a little starstruck. I mean, there's cameras everywhere. 
um, from the player standpoint, like if you look at the schedule that they go through, it's like bang, 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 every five to 10 minutes, they're in a new interview room with different set of cameras and all that. Um, so I think it really gives those guys kind of a sense of importance. And I think that, you know, the way Florida's defense played last year, uh, they need, they need help. And so if that's the reason that Dan Mullen's sending these guys is to kind of set the tone, Hey, you know, you guys are the leaders. And if we're going to take the next step, the defense has to move forward. I think that's a good call. Um, I don't know, Blake, maybe we can talk about, uh, some of the questions that we would ask about this team going into SEC media days, I guess if you, if you know, you got to ask one question of, of these guys, what would it be? Well, it would be on the defensive side, you know, obviously with them being there um, just how bad it was last year um, would just from, from different parts, you know, it, it seems like the secondary um, was really where they struggled, but I, I think there was some trickle down effect because I do think the defensive line didn't get the push you would want to see. So I guess for me, it would just be, um, you know, from things all the way to, you know, how the younger guys that, you know, last year that we were talking about that, you know, we wanted to see more snaps on, you know, how, how have they really worked, you know, in the, in the spring season and really this off season, you know, seeing that we didn't get it, you know, to cover spring football and then how those, you know, transfer guys like, you know, Daquan Newkirk or an Antonio Shelton have really kind of helped bring some veteran leadership to that defensive line, which would have been young. So I think for me, it would just be the questions about, you know, the pieces that we haven't seen that we didn't get to see in the spring that a lot of fans, a lot of media people were wondering where they were last season and just where the, you know, kind of the help that those, those veteran type of guys through the transfer portal bring. Yeah. I, I look at what the defense has to do to kind of fix, not just be not historically bad, but to be better than average, to be above average. I keep going back to the defensive line. I think that that unit has to really, really take a major step forward. You mentioned the two transfers. I think that was obviously a huge position of need. Um, but now you've got some younger guys that, you know, former five-star and Javon Dexter, like he needs to take the next step. Uh, some of these other younger guys have to start to contribute. But I think one of the biggest things in, in, for me in looking at Florida's defense is they have to be able to force more takeaways. If you look at the biggest difference, I think, between 2019 and 2020 from the standpoint of really impacting games, they just didn't force as many takeaways. And that was um, – that's a situation where if they had forced a couple more takeaways last year with the kind of offense Florida has, maybe you're talking about an, ex an extremely different season. Um, so I, I think, and the reason I go back to the defensive line is I think, um, when you look at a lot of the analytics guys have kind of talked about Florida's havoc rate and, and, you know, the rate that they got after the passer really didn't dip a whole lot from 2019 to 2020. Um, which is surprising because those are usually metrics that end up helping predict that they're, you're going to force turnovers. Um, I think the reason for that is because a lot of times Florida put up those, those numbers, those havoc rate type numbers against the lesser teams on the schedule. And you'd expect Florida to be able to do that with some of the guys it has. I think where Florida needs to take the next step is they need to start to have some of those dominant guys up front. I think Zach Carter can be one of those guys. Brenton Cox, if he can take the next step, can be one of those guys. But you need to have dominant guys that get it done, not just against, you know, the Missouris, the Kentuckys, the South Carolinas, but are also having that kind of impact in terms of getting to the quarterback, forcing them to make quicker decisions in games like LSU, Georgia, Alabama, and I think that's where we saw problems for Florida's defense last year. So I'm curious to see, you know, to, to listen to Zach Carter and, and hear what he has to say about their progression. You know, I, all the reports I've heard from, from people that we've talked to close to the program have been that they feel really good about the defensive line. They feel really good about those two transfers. Um, but you're going to be young in the secondary. I and mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing that could be addition by subtraction. But to me, Blake, that defensive line has to step up and really make life easier on the rest of the defense. Definitely. And there's a lot of questions you can, you know, think to ask, you know, just even, 
like we mentioned before, just the loss of so many marquee players on the offense, you know, being the defensive side, you know, you obviously have to defend them. You have to learn how to scheme around them. You know, just some of the guys that have, you know, that maybe you've seen, you have seen step up, you know, there are a lot of things you can ask, you know, new coaching, you know, obviously not at their position, um, but just there are so many different things, maybe what are they doing differently from last year they did to this year. So I am interested, you know, SEC media day, it, you know, if in the SEC in the South, man, it's, it's like, it's, it's own little holiday. And if you can see it from just all the fans that are there, you know, I, I always laugh whenever the, you know, the, the coaches and the players are walking in you see so many people like just arms stretched out with like little helmets to get signed and things wow. like that so that's like the first sign of you know college football is coming so that's that's always kind of a you know a, a big event for people down in the south so i'm excited that you know it's only a couple more saturdays until you know it's time for college football again yeah and it, i mean it won't be completely the same this year obviously you know there's still a number of covid19 protocols in place uh, i don't think the the fans will really be allowed in the lobby this year unfortunately right um, I was just going off a more of a traditional, you know, yeah, yeah, aspect for sure. where it's always just such a big deal. For sure. And, and I think that, you know, that's the point I think of, it, it is a big deal for these players to get to experience that. And so um, let's flip over to the offensive side of the ball, Blake. We talked about a lot of question marks there. What's the biggest one for you? I think, I think for me, it's the O-line still. It is for me too. Um, I, you know, I think that, that, I think that's going to be anybody's you know first question that comes to the top of their head. Um, you know that is obviously number one. You know how are they going to replace some of these pass catchers? You know Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Tony, two first round draft pick. You know guys. You know even just we we said it a lot last year that past the the usual suspects of you know the the wide receiver group and the pass catcher group last year there were a lot of guys that you know have made some plays a little bit of unknowns you know how have they kind of taken that role to that next step you know so you know the Jacob Copelands you know the the Justin Shorters you know Trent Whittemore you know obviously you probably would have seen a little bit more uptick from him last year had he not you know been dealing with some injury so just how those kind of guys maybe the pass catchers some of those names that aren't maybe household names you know how they've kind of progressed along um, but I mean I, I if I had to think of questions that you just you can't and not circle back to the offensive line just because that's kind of been the Achilles heel of the offense. Um, you know, ideally you think that the, the offense will shift from that heavy passing attack that they had under, you know, Kyle Trask this past season. And you think that it would go to maybe a little bit more of a traditional offense, you know, that Dan Mullins run where you see a lot of more, you know, QB runs, a lot more focus on the running game. So, you know, I, I would be interested to see, or at least to hear about, you know, how those changes, if, if at all are, are taking place. And I think, uh, you know, another big factor in that this year is going to be they, they will have a full offseason of strength and conditioning. Now, so will everybody else. Um, but that could really help that group, I think, particularly because, you know, we've talked about, you know, for that group to take a step forward, they need some of the younger guys to really push for jobs. You know, the Josh Braun types, uh, you know, maybe a Michael Tarquin, those types. And I think those guys physically, I mean, Ethan White, I was looking at, uh, you know, Jeremiah Moon put a video up on YouTube the other day of, team's picture day and, and Ethan White just looks huge I mean he looks he looks like he's ready to be a mauler so you need those type of guys to step up uh, I'm with you on that I think that's you know that's where it's got to start especially if you want to be a run-based offense um, but Blake I mean there's I think the difference for me this year and and maybe this is revisionist history a little bit but I felt like going into 2020 you knew Kyle Trask was going to be one of the better quarterbacks in the league I mean we were talking about him being a top three quarterback in the league you knew that Kyle Pitts was probably the number one tight end in the conference. So you had some guys that you knew were legitimate star type pieces. I don't know that you have that on this Florida offense. Like, yes, the running back room is very deep. Uh, you've got multiple guys that have taken carries, but if I'm being honest, I don't consider Damian Pierce a game breaker right now. I don't really consider Malik Davis a game breaker, you know, going over to receiver last year, 
no, we didn't, nobody expected, I think, Kadarius Tony to have the kind of year he did. But a lot of people thought Trayvon Grimes would kind of step forward and, and take the, you know, the step that he did. I don't know that I feel as confident about that happening this year with some of the names. I mean, you mentioned it, you know, if a guy like Trent Whittemore can step up, that helps a lot. But are you concerned at all that there maybe just aren't enough elite guys on this offense? Or do you think that's something that is probably an overblown concern? And, you know, Florida's pretty good developing guys. Billy Gonzalez has done it routinely. And we'll see those guys start to emerge. I don't know if I'm just naive, but I really do think that the staff does a good job of developing guys. And I do agree that, you know, on paper, when you look at it right now, there are just guys that, you know, you don't have a Kyle Pitts, you know, you don't have a Kyle Trask, you don't have, you know, a couple years ago, a guy like Van Jefferson, where you knew he was going to be really productive, was going to work himself into, you know, a higher draft pick. There just isn't a guy like that. that When you look at those position groups of, you know, those skill type of guys that really jump out to me. But I look at that. And I, and I see that, you know, a guy like Jacob Copeland, um, he's been in the program a while. You know, I think that drops were kind of the, the thing last year. If he can work in the offseason and have that time to where he can, you know, work the jugs machine or, or get some time in the film room with the coaching staff and you don't have the limitations that you did, you know, into the 2020 season last year, I think that there can be a chance to have some reassurgence of some guys, you know. And I, I look at it every year to where uh, – was it – was it last year? I think it was last year heading the season. Obviously, Kadarius Tony had a year that a lot of people weren't expecting into the year. But when you look at it, you know, going into that season, we all knew that Kyle Pitts was going to be, a, you know, a dude. You know, he was going to be one of the best players there. But I remember last year, you know, being on the podcast heading in the season and looking at the wide receiver room that Florida had last year and not really seeing a guy that was going to be a true number one, a true game breaker type position. So, you know, last year when I was sitting there thinking these things, you know, man, I wonder who's going to be the guy that steps up, who's going to be that. And I feel like every year, whenever you have a, a wide receiver room where you've got guys that are moving on, if you don't have some guys returning back, you really have to work on the development. I think that that's something the staff does really good at. Um, you know, they, they do a, a great job of getting guys developed, you know, moved on to the league. Um, they're getting a lot more time to wherever they can work on those things and have to do you know, meetings through Zoom, you know, you can actually sit in the, in the rooms with the coaches and have that interaction. So I don't put a lot of weight into heading into the season that, you know, yes, I agree with you that there's not a guy that really jumps out to me that that's going to be, you know, a Kyle Pitts or, you know, I mean, I guess that's, that's big shoes to fill, but just a guy that we look at and you're like, man, that's going to be the dude for Florida this year. That's going to be the guy. But I think that that's something that you can see over time, you know, it, it, it into the season next year, or are we going to not, you know, I think I need to see a couple games before I really, you know, make or break that decision on there. But, you know, I felt like, like I said last year, that there wasn't really a guy in that position group last year at wide receiver that was really going to jump out and be the guy. So I'm, I'm kind of in a wait and see approach with that one. Yeah. And I think, I think you mentioned Jacob Copeland. I think he's one that everybody kind of has circled. Right. Turns out he's going to be wearing the number one Jersey. Uh, that's a pretty big deal at Florida going back to the urban Meyer days. Uh, both of the the guys that have worn the number one jersey and have moved on from Florida since Dan Mullen took over have been first-round picks. Like I had this uh, kind of for us to talk about, what does it mean to you that the coaches have felt comfortable giving Jacob Copeland the number one jersey? They have to be confident in him. They have to be really confident in his abilities. Um, that's not something that, you know, I know it's a jersey number, and some people are listening to this or watching this to think, dude, it's just a number. Like, who cares? And, you know, that, that is true. But it means a lot in the program. It means a lot to these players. Um, I, I think that whenever you give someone something like that, you know, if you're on the coaching staff, I just think it, you don't give that you don't give that that position to Florida, and this isn't a staff that really gives things away. You know, they don't give something away for you know someone to have that extra motivation. You have to put in that work, and that you have to have the motivation on your own to get something like that. So, seeing that work that you know, or at least seeing that they're giving him that number, they think that of him that they, he had had to show these guys something in the spring, something in the off season, just being accountable. So, I you know, I, it, it, to me, it seems like the coaching staff thinks a lot of him. They think he's going to have a big season. 
Well, and I mean, if you go back to 2019 before Kadarius Tony got it, he hadn't really done a whole lot at Florida. And, and a lot of us were kind of scratching our heads like, really? Kadarius Tony of all people? Like, maybe just hold it out for another year. And then, you know, he didn't really break out in 2019, but I think we all saw what he could do in 2020. So I think that says a lot about where Copeland's head is at in terms of working uh, really in the offseason to better himself. And then I think it shows that they, they think he probably has some leadership potential as well. But uh, Blake, let's take a quick break. I want to talk to you a little bit about maybe the most interesting storyline for Florida going into fall camp when we come back. And then we have an interesting new football series that Florida has scheduled to talk about. And I want to get a quick recruiting recruiting recap. So let's take a quick break. We'll be right back on the other side. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, I wanted to talk to you about maybe what the most interesting storyline, maybe even on both sides of the ball, is going into fall camp. Because when you have so many question marks offensively in terms of personnel, you're coming off a year where you really weren't very good defensively, and so a lot of things have to happen. I feel like there's a million storylines we can talk about. Uh, let me throw it to you first defensively, because I think if that doesn't improve, Florida has a, a very fairly low ceiling relative to what fans' expectations are. What's the most interesting storyline for you on that side of the ball? I just think that whenever you watched Florida's defense last year and you saw how they lined up in a lot of situations – I think I lost count of how many times where it was maybe third and short or, you know, maybe whatever yard or excuse me, whatever, whatever the down was, there was always, you know, in a short yarded situation, you saw these guys lined up 15, you know, yards off, 10 yards off, giving so much cushion up. And you know I mean, they run a slant and it's first down. And I felt like that was kind of a, a rinse, wash, repeat type of thing for Florida last year. I did pick up a lot of the spring, you know, meetings with the coaches, you know, through, you know, through media sessions and whatnot, that they seem to put a lot more emphasis on playing man football. Um, you know, Jules Montanar, who Florida hired as Florida's cornerbacks coach is, is kind of known for being a man coverage type of guy. You bring Wesley McGriffin, who's the safeties coach at Florida, who's a veteran in coaching, but is is 
from, from hearing what people talked about him, he's very physical. You know, he wants his players to, you know, have a lot of physicality. So it seems like Florida's trying to get more physical on the defensive side of the ball. Just how those changes have, have been impacted on Florida. So I think one of the biggest storylines for me is, is will the, the scheme changes, you know, to, to focusing on more man, will that help Florida's secondary, you know, on the back end to where they really struggled last year? And I think that, yes, they have a lot of young players, but could something so simple as changing up your scheme like that be a, a good fix for the defense? I would think it would just because it seemed like, like I said, man, you, it's like watching, you know, like a cartoon where it's like, you know, watching out there and they're giving up all that space on there. And it, it just seems to give a lot of guys that cushion. So um, that, that's my biggest storyline, I think, is, is how those changes will help Florida. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I think when I look at it, you know, I, I talked about the defensive line already. I think the most interesting storyline to me is really more of a question. Is Florida going to play some of the younger guys? Because in the secondary, they're going to have to, right? right? I mean, you just have to. That's, that's the guys you have. But I think more interesting to me is going to be, can Florida get guys like Tyron Hopper on the field? Can they get Linebacker's guys like... Linebacker's the position that definitely jumps out at the, you know, just you know, that position alone. Or will they continue to kind of force feed, you know, snaps to the Ventrell Miller, Amari Bernies? And, I, and Ventrell Miller's going to play. I mean, he's, the, he's their heart and soul on defense. He's a good communicator. I want to see other guys around him start to play. And I think the more younger guys you get involved, you can really create a sense of energy on defense. You know, I think... That's the big question mark for me. There, there's been a little bit too much hesitance for me from the coaching staff in sticking with veterans. I'd like to see guys like Chris Bogle more. I'd like to see – I thought Andrew Chatfield was very effective on the pass rush when he got in there. And I know that they like to rotate, and I think that's very useful, particularly you know when you come to the fourth quarter. Um, but for me, I want to see if some of those younger guys, you know, if they get an opportunity, and I'd like to see that happen, if they can really command more snaps. You know, they're guys that all of a sudden you say, oh, whoa, Oh, that was really good. Let's, let's play him more. And then they start to get, you know, like we talked about in the first half of the show, those takeaways, you just start to build a better sense of confidence and energy around the defense. I felt like last year, it felt like the energy was just lacking on defense at times. And I think a lot of that was frustration from the stuff you pointed out where the scheme really didn't help guys. I mean, I forget which game it was, but I, I you know, we'll never forget. I remember Kyer Elam is, is covering a post with, um, he's playing to force it to the inside and there's no safety there and he gets beat easily because there's no safety there. And it's, you can just see the body language and the frustration. I think younger guys can help that because younger guys, if they make a mistake, they kind of expect that. And then they move on. And when they make a big play, conversely, I think they bring more energy to your team than maybe kind of what we saw last year. So to me, that's, I want to see younger guys get more involved on defense. It's going to happen to some degree, you know, because it has to, in the secondary, but in that front seven, I'd really like to see that group try to find more upside talent, more upside athleticism from guys like Tyron Hopper, Derek Wingo. Um, like I said, Chris Bogle, some of those guys. All right, yeah. Let's... And I think that's a good point too. And I also think too, I'm curious if just the lack of an off season program, you know, just the conditioning, if that played a factor into so many of the veteran guys last year, I'm curious. I, I think that's a bigger storyline. I, I think that's the real, you know, if there was a number one storyline, I think it's that one. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you completely. I think it will make a big difference. I just, I, you know, I... But this staff does put a lot of weight into being a veteran. They do. They just they do. do. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't know. Again, I think there's merit to that. I think at a certain point, uh, you know, and we can talk about particular guys. I mean, I think like John DeLance, at a certain point, he's shown you what he is. And right. you've started 26 games, and, you know, by game 26, you, you still don't see a whole lot of improvement. That's, that's, that's when it's time to move on to you, a younger guy, give a younger guy a shot, build him some confidence, and, and kind of do that. And I know I shifted to offense there. Uh, let, let's it's talk still about, a good example, though. Let's talk though. about offense. Um, 
which which because I think you you're going to talk about the O line, right? And it is it's the offensive line. I think that's the biggest storyline on all of Florida's offense. But I think particular particularly for me, it's just I think you're going to see a switch from you know kind of style where you're not going to see them throw it all over the pit you know field like they did with Kyle Trask. I think you're going to see a lot more design QB runs, a lot more trickeration with trying to run using a deep stable of running backs. I think that the 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 run block game, I think, is really my biggest storyline because Florida last year, even in other years, but last year really more in particular, they really struggled in the run blocking game. They really didn't get that push. They really didn't open up a lot of holes. So Florida's run game, whether you can argue if they really just rode the hot hand of having a great quarterback or not, but when they tried to run the ball, it just really didn't work. They didn't get that push. So I think that this year is the year where obviously the fans want to see, and even I'm sure the coaches want to see that run game improve, but it's, I think you're going to need that run game to improve because I think you're going to put so much more emphasis on the run game. So I think that's the biggest storyline. Can this offensive line, and you use words like maulers when you see guys like that, you know, and Ethan White, um, you know, those kind of guys, they're going to need to be maulers. They're going to need to be opening up some holes for these running uh, running backs and, you know, even Emory Jones in the run game or even Anthony Richardson if they throw him in for him from some burn for him. So I think that that run game, really getting that push, I think is the biggest storyline. Can they do that? Well, I mean, if that doesn't get going, it's going to be a long year. It so is. Up. That's, I mean, the, that's, the, that's like, I think, like the Achilles know. heel of this. This, I mean, it's, I think that's the make or break part. And, and I'll be honest with you, my most interesting storyline on offense is is Emory Jones and what he's going to look like. And I, I'll be honest with you, I have no idea. Um, I have concerns about his accuracy, but to me, you know, if, if I, it's unrealistic to expect him to do what Kyle Trask did. Let's just go ahead and this. say that. I mean, Kyle Trask set school records for single season in passing yardage, passing touchdowns. That, that's not going to happen with Emory Jones. And, and that doesn't mean he can't be a very, very effective quarterback. But to your point, I think the run game has to get going. Um, I look at it more, you know, how, how can Emory Jones manage the balance of the offense? You know, um, because I think Florida wants to be balanced. Not that they won't skew one way or another if they have a guy like Kyle Trask. Um, right, and it varies from team to team too. Right, but I think to me the biggest question mark is can Emory be effective enough with his arm to really keep defenses from loading the box because I would think early on in, in the season, teams are going to load the box and force him to prove that uh, with his arm. And I think, you know, I, I get a little bit concerned about just, I haven't quite seen it from memory yet in terms of consistently being accurate. Uh, and I, and somebody asked me this on swamp 24 seven the other day, you know, how does, how does Emory compare to Felipe Franks as a passer? And I think the answer is they're, they're completely different people to me. You know, when we watched Felipe Franks in practice uh, for years and years and years, he always struggled with the same kinds of things. It was timing on the out routes, timing on the corner routes, and those are higher degree of difficulty throws, right? So it's, it's more of an innate, you just know it, you know, you have it or you don't. And you can work on it to some degree. And Dan Mullen talked about, you know, this spring Emory was working on that in terms of his balance, you know, if he's more on balance as he makes throws, it's going to naturally help his timing. It's going to naturally help the accuracy. But for me, Emery is a little bit different from Felipe in that I don't really see any throws in particular that he struggles with. It just seems to be more general inconsistency in terms of accuracy. You know, you'll have two or three passes in a row that are right on the money, perfectly timed. Then one hits the dirt or one sails high. You know, it's, it's enough of that inconsistency that I have question marks about his arm. Now to your point, if the run game really picks up, I think Emory can be incredibly effective for Florida this season because, you know, I've pointed, I think, on this podcast back to the 2015 LSU game uh, when Treon Harris took over and, and LSU didn't really exactly know how to defend it. And part of that was just because Treon was so new. But what happened was he was enough of a threat with his legs that he could extend plays and 
basically it, it, it turned into broken play football. And obviously you don't want to design an offense around that, but Emory can bring that to the table as well. And so if Florida is able to establish some ground game, they're able to get people crowded into the box. Emory is going to get more one-on-one opportunities down the field. It's really hard to cover guys one-on-one in man coverage when you've got a running quarterback and, you know, the route could end up playing out any different number of ways based on kind of being backyard football. I think that's what Florida is going to kind of, that's what I, if, if things are successful, envision it being where Emory makes a lot of off schedule throws, uh, outside the pocket, you know, guys are getting very comfortable checking back to him, knowing kind of his style of play. Uh, but then also you have enough of that run game where you can kind of really open up your own holes. So Blake, let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit. We've talked about, you know, SEC media days. We've talked about some fall camp stuff. UCF. I know you're, you're a guy that uh, is a little closer to that area than me. Obviously, 2017, they go undefeated. They start chirping about national championships. And then 2018, Florida doesn't get matched up. I think it's 2018. might have been 2019. They didn't get matched up with UCF in the bowl. And, you know, UCF fans start accusing Scott Strickland of ducking them by being on the playoff committee and not wanting Florida to be embarrassed by UCF. What is this? Uh, so I guess first off, let me give the details before I get ahead of myself. Gainesville 2024 and 2033. The contract is not inked yet, but the Orlando Sentinels reporting that from sources on both sides, uh, we're likely to have a three-game three series, two in Gainesville, one in Orlando. Games in Gainesville, again, in 2024 and 2033. So not for a bit. Uh, and then the Florida will travel to Orlando in 2030. But Blake, what does this game mean? Are you happy to see this game on the schedule? Or do you feel like it was unnecessary for Florida to add this? Uh, you know, I don't know that it's exactly necessary just because I don't think that even if they win or lose, I mean, yeah, if you win, I mean, that's a W on your column. And if you lose, you know, you never want to start off the season like that. But there's really no gain for Florida. You know, I think that UCF, whenever you look at, you know, kind of the chirping, you know, even if you go from the back and forth on there, you know, mostly it's, you know, kind of the little brother kind of nipping at, you know, at the older brother. So I don't know that there's really any gain from that, but man, I'm excited to see, you know, the back and forth just because there has been it, you know, you look on social media, you see it, you know, the, oh man, Florida's, you know, doesn't want to play us, blah, 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 all these kind of things. So um, I don't know that you'll see any extra motivation from the players other than, you know, maybe if they, you know, had some ties from high school or just from being in-state guys or, you know, those kind of things. But I think that from a fan standpoint, like, oh man, I'm excited to log on Twitter for that week leading up to, because I think that's going to be a, it's going to be a fun place. A couple of years leading up to it, really. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, no, dude, I'm, I'm all about it. I think, you know, I've been vocal about Scott Strickland scheduling philosophy since he arrived at Florida and really beefing it up with power five teams. But I think if you're, you know, you're never going to have a schedule where you play four non-conference power five teams and then eight SEC teams. That's not going to happen. So with those extra couple games, those one or two a year, to be able to get a program like UCF that who knows where where they'll be in 2024 or 2033 or any of these games. But it's intriguing. You know what I mean? It's it's something that everybody's going to talk about. It really gets your fans involved and hyped up locally. I think that's a great idea. I know that Florida was open to it, you know, back when Danny White was the AD at UCF and he didn't really want to get into a two for one to me, you know, that's, that's great. I think it's, and it's cool. It's a cool opportunity for Florida fans to be able to go watch a game in Orlando. And, you know, Florida obviously has a big fan base there Uh, for them not to be able to have to travel for that one game and see Florida in a little bit of a different environment. I think it's cool. I think it's good for the sport. I think the more we get matchups like these that, you know, have that passion and that, that fire that college football fans kind of bring to the table, the better. So I'm all about it. Blake, let's move on to recruiting. I don't want to want the show to go too, too long, but it has been a while since we last podcasted. Uh, Florida had a very, very busy month of June. 
can you walk us through, obviously Florida picked up a number of commitments. Maybe can we get some brief details on those guys? And then I guess maybe just where you feel recruiting's at right now. Yeah, you know, I think that it was a busy June, obviously, with camps, you know, unofficial visits, official visits, different kind of workouts going on. Um, but I think the biggest commitment for Florida that came um, on one of their weekends following, uh, you know, an official visit weekend, that, that 18th through the 20th, I believe it was, uh, was from four-star linebacker Shamar James out of Alabama, um, out of the Mobile area. And the Mobile area Florida has obviously tried to recruit the state of Alabama hard. You look at just some of the guys they've landed out there, but that Mobile area, you know, is really an area where they, you know, a guy like LaMichael P. Ryan, you know, they've got other guys. Um, I believe that Jeremiah Williams, who Florida signed in this last cycle, is from somewhere around in that area too. So, Kadarius Tony Tony is another one, and that's one guy that Shamar actually pointed out that, you know, growing up when he was in like middle school or whatever it was, maybe even elementary, he would go to the games where Kadarius Tony was playing on a Friday night, and it was like, you know, he said that it was like always packed and everyone wanted to go see Kadarius Tony. So that was where he started to really watch Florida, where they started to sign some of those guys out of the state of Alabama. So I thought that was kind of a cool story. But it was, but it was for Florida because not only are you getting a four-star, top 247 type guy who's an elite talent, but you're getting more of those – linebackers that are really athletic that Florida's been trying to get more into the program. But he's not just, uh, you know, is he a buck? Is he a linebacker? I think he's someone that's coming in with a little bit more size on him. Um, so, you know, I, and anytime you beat a guy that, you know, obviously used an official visit to Alabama, Alabama was, the, you know, the crystal ball leader for him. You know, that's a big win for Florida over a program like Alabama. Um, Chandler Smith, um, a, a wide receiver from down the Orlando area, um, one of the fastest guys in the country, I believe, in, a, in the hundred meter dash. And I, I think it was when, you know, helped you know with with the time that he got. So I don't know if it was an official actual time, but a ten point two eight in the hundred meter dash. I mean, that's fast. I mean, that is speed. Florida, if you look from their their commitment class from top to bottom, and you've got a guy like Chandler Smith, you've got Isaiah Bond, you've got Julian Humphreys. All of these guys are really fast, and Florida that. is really bringing in that type of speed. If you look back to the Urban Meyer days, you know the Chris Rainey's, the Jeff Demps. I mean, I'm sure there are other yeah. players that yeah. even off the top of my head. That kind of speed is what Florida really had a lot of success with. I think that getting those guys, you know, the speed type of guys and you know yeah Isaiah Bond is more of a, a slot receiver type of guy but Chandler Smith is not you know he's listed as 6'3 I, I don't know that we have an official measurement on him but he's like 6'1 somewhere between 6'1 and 6'3 um, so I mean he's not you know you know your typical speedy you know slot you know scat back type of guy out purpose back type of guy he's a guy that you know I think is comparable in the in the frame to in the, in the staff even mentioned that to him of Trevon Grimes but he's got that 10, 8, you know, 10.28 speed to bring with him. So I think that that's a big-time weapon for Florida. He'll also run track at Florida. At least that's his plans for right now. Uh, Florida, uh, I believe right now, correct me if I'm wrong, Florida does not have a scholarship kicker on the roster, correct? They're all walk-ons or preferred correct. walk-ons. Yep. So Florida was really looking forward. You know, they, they landed the transfer from Mississippi State. That'll be there this, this coming season. But they really wanted to land a scholarship kicker for the future, and they did that um, in June as well. And Trey Smack, um, he's out of the, the Maryland area. Um, I think on the Coles kicking, which – knows way more than me about kickers because I'm not going to lie. That's not really my forte, but he's the number three kicker on their rankings. Um, so I, I've seen clips of him, you know, kicking from 55 from 60 yards with accuracy, obviously, you know, having a leg like that Florida losing out on a guy like Evan McPherson, um, who's now with the Cincinnati Bengals, Florida was going to have a need for, you know, that one of those big legs that, you know, you've had with him. So, um, you know, I guess it's a good get. You know, I don't like I said, I don't really know kickers, but when I watch the videos of him, the kick goes far and it goes to the middle of the upright. So I guess we're good. See? So, and then the final one was Jamarian Burt. Um, he's, he's listed as an athlete. He'll play defensive back corner for Florida. Um, he's from uh, Ocala Forest, so he's, he's a fairly local guy. Um, and it was a guy that kind of popped up on the radar 
after he went to his team, uh, with his team, rather, um, on a seven-on-seven event that Florida had with his Forest team, um, they really watched him run. They liked what they saw, and they asked him to come back for a private workout um, whenever he came in on one of the days. I can't remember what day it was off the top of my head, but he came in, worked out with Jules Montanar, Florida's new cornerbacks coach. Um, and I was told, that, you know, whenever he was doing his workouts, I mean, he popped off a 4-3, a 4-4. Um, I believe he's around six foot, six foot one, so he's kind of a, a longer, lanky type of guy. So that kind of speed, again, you know, was really something that they really tried to covet this cycle. So um, that was a, a pretty nice get for Florida. I do think that, you know, he's a guy that you could have maybe let your defensive backboard play out. But at the time, they had Devin Moore, who's since committed to Notre Dame. Um, Azariah Thomas, a guy at a nice fill, four-star cornerback there. Florida still had some options. Some of those options have fallen off the board. Um, so I guess it makes a little bit more sense now on Burt, get him in the boat, you know, continue right. to fend off guys on Julian Humphreys, who's Florida's other cornerback commit, who's still keeping, you know, his ears open to other schools. He's planning to take some visits down the line. So I guess locking in a guy like that makes a little bit more sense now in hindsight. But at the time, I thought it was a guy that Florida could have took a little bit later. But that type of speed is what they really liked from him. Um, and I think that, the, you know, he's a guy that, you know, where they continue to build those young players in the defensive back, um, got the, long, the, the length and the speed, and that's something that they seem to covet. Like, um, I know Florida, especially in that first weekend in June, had a lot of high-profile four-star, five-star type guys, top 24-7 guys on campus. There seemed to be a lot of momentum. Um, now that we're two weeks into July, uh, getting close to where guys will be able to get on campus, take visits uh, for, for games and that kind of thing, where do you feel like the momentum is at with UF recruiting right now? I do feel like when you look at that first weekend where they had all those big time guys, the five stars, the top 100, top 50 type players, like you said, the momentum was strong you don't have that much momentum and it kind of died off as guys took other visits because that was what June was. I mean, it was just a grind of official visits for some of these guys. And I think it did start to die off. Obviously they landed some commitments. They had some big time guys on campus, but I think that Friday night lights being at the end of July, or at least that final week, because there's like basically a week at the end of July where, you know, it's all you've got for, you know, before the, you know, the, the season kicks back in and where visits can be taken. So I think that Florida needs to get some more of those guys on campus, you know, five stars like Walter Nolan, um, who Florida had on that first weekend. Evan Stewart, a wide receiver that's, you know, at the top of Florida's board at that position. Um, if you can get some of those guys back on campus for a Friday night lights or some kind of visits like that, Azarea Thomas is another, like I mentioned before, a big time cornerback target for Florida. He's mentioning about, you know, at least most likely is what he said um, at my last check on Friday night lights. So if you can get some more of those big time guys on campus for Friday night lights, and this year it's a little bit different for Friday night lights. I mean, the, the camp and everything on Friday is traditionally pretty much the same as what it's always been, but they're doing something a little different this year to where on the Saturday following that they're having like basically a cookout, which is something where guys you know, you just don't have to come in and watch a camp or come in and camp or work out with the coaches. You know, obviously right. from the layoff of just, you know, not seeing a lot of guys in person, there wasn't as – it's good for the coaches to see these guys work out, you know, just because you can finally get your hands on guys. You can finally watch them move and do all the sorts of things that you weren't able to do during the uh, past spring evaluation period, do the past fall season. You had to watch a lot of film. You had to trust your evaluation. So for the staff, Friday Night Lights is great if you have a guy that does work out. But, you know, I mean, at the end of July, the season's starting, a lot of these guys don't want to come in and work out, you know, and I, I think that doing something more of like a, you know, kind of a chill thing, having a cookout, that's something where guys are going to want to come in and want to hang out with those coaches and other players, you know, players on the team, other commits, you know, recruits or whatever in town. So, um, you know, I think that getting a lot of those big time guys back on campus again, getting that final say before the season starts up, some of these guys are wanting to make their commitments before their senior season starts. I think that's a chance to get some momentum back in there just by getting that final say, you know, kind of getting the last word for some of these guys before they make their decisions, before they start getting busy with the season. 
And it's no secret. I mean, we've talked about it a lot. Florida staff does a lot better when they're in person with guys. They do. You know, they seem very good at relationship building. Relationship uh, ribs. Relationship ribs. Shout out Shout to, out to uh, Dana Snell. There you go. All right. Well, uh, Blake, unless you got anything else for us, uh, that'll, that'll do it for this episode of the podcast. That's all I can think of. All right, guys. Well, we thank you for tuning in. Be sure to hit like and subscribe on the YouTube channel. If you're listening to it anywhere else, please leave us a favorable review. That'll do it for us today. We'll be back on the other side of SEC Media Day. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.